Welcome. This is Corinne Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today, I have a windows of possibility moment because I'm interviewing Jada Seldner, who's the author of She Builds, the anti-hustle guide to grow your business and nourish your life. And my invitation for you is even if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't own your own business. My invitation is to listen to this interview through the lens of what is the windows of possibility? What could be the takeaways, the insight that you could apply to your own life? And oftentimes what happens with the windows of possibility, it opens it up. You hear something that we say here and it opens up something inside of you and you could see not the tactile she does her schedule Monday, Wednesday, Friday in this way, and therefore I must do it. But it starts to open up a different realm of something that maybe you've been working on in your brain, and it allows it to unfold. So my invitation for you today is to come in with curiosity and what are the windows of possibility here that is discussed, whether or not you're an entrepreneur, but the idea is really, the principle is really to let go of this hustle culture that we have and instead have a life that is fulfilling while also doing meaningful work. All right, my friend, I'm smiling big for you. Well, Jada, hello and welcome to my show. I'm really glad to have you here. I'm happy that Charlie connected us this year, this season of life. I'm totally Feeling your vibes. I know we're both in Northern California, so it's really great to connect in this way. Yes. So I really want to talk about hustle culture because when I was reading your book, there were so many things. You and I started, I started this podcast in 2006, right? And then building my business, what, 2008, 2009, and all those guys like Gary Vee, right? Tim Ferriss, all the guys you talk about, there was so much of the hustle that was so indoctrinated in us entrepreneurs and really wanting to let go of that. So this your the timing of having you on is just the right time. So I'm very excited. The question I have for you is your book, She Builds. Let's get started with that. Why did you build this book? And the question I want to ask is a former guest on my show, Betsy Rappaport, who has been the editor for like Martha Beck, and I think she used to work at Random House. But, you know, she really, you know, talks about the gruesome task of writing a book right? Not that it's a horrible thing, but it's hard. It's not just this lovely, easy thing that people think. So why write this book and why were you willing to go through the challenge of writing it? Yeah. So I'll first answer the first part of why I wrote this book. And it was for that reason of, you know, me when I was a baby entrepreneur in 2008, 2009, when the economy and the recession and all of those things But I was reading, you know, Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, Tim Ferriss, 4-Hour Workweek, and I was indoctrinated into that way of building because they were the only books that existed. But I questioned if it was actually possible for me to build a business 
that also integrated my family life. My kid was a toddler when I started my first business. And my husband and I were just trying to figure out how this thing works. And so to me, there was no proof of possibility that you could build a successful business where you have the freedom and the flexibility, all those things that they were preaching about and also being a parent, also needing to account to, you know, my husband and I have been married for 17 years now. There's there's just different decisions and things that have to be made as an entrepreneur when you have other caregiving responsibilities. So for me, I needed a book to exist that represented what I look like. Like I'm not college educated. I'm black, Chinese, and white. So it's just like there were many things that I was like, is there anyone that looks like me that has the same, you know, priorities as me? And I just didn't see that. They were all these business books are written by college educated, Ivy League educated white men. And it just didn't feel like it was as possible for me. And like they weren't speaking directly to me. It just, they're single, they're out traveling the world. I'm like, is that possible for me? I'd love it. (laughs) I would love it. And I just didn't know if it was true. So for me, representation really matters. And it, it helps remove some of those objections of like, why me? Why now? Is it possible? All those things. So if I could remove some of those barriers, because there's so many objections that we face. There's so many fears that we face when going down the path of entrepreneurship. If I could lift some of those pieces, if I could write a more compassionate, loving book that speaks about love and business and that you can build something successful, that you can scale without ignoring the things and the values that you have and what really matters to you. So as you say that, like the, I could hear the skeptical voices, right, that we've all been indoctrinated with and the cultural programming of love and business. And that sounds like more like a hobby versus like, no, we need to go to work, right? Yeah. We, need to, we need to hustle. We need to work hard. We need to grind. We need to have grit, right? Those very masculine energies yeah. around building a business. Yeah. It's interesting because I think think that for us, when we are building something meaningful and with love, doesn't mean that it's not real or that it's not serious. So, you know, I had a brick and mortar business in Kauai in 2008, 2009, 10, 11, and then we closed it down and I wanted to start an online business. Like I'm like, I love entrepreneurship, but a brick and mortar, like I have brick and mortar clients and I just bow down to them because you're not questioning like, should I have a website? You have a lease from day one of building. You know, you are in in it, you're investing, you have signed a contract. It's not even just one year. So I wanted a little bit more freedom around that. But in building my online business, when I had a parenting blog, I knew that I did not want a hobby business. Like that wasn't the plan. So it's also being intentional, which is a very loving thing to do inside business and being strategic of I am building this to make money. And I have many clients who have built seven-figure blogs who started as a side hobby, you know, while they're, you know, chasing around their toddlers. That was not me. I was in a place of necessity. I needed to make money for my family. I'm a creative. My husband's a musician, an actor. Like we were like, we've got to figure this thing out. It wasn't an option to like just a little random side hustle. I needed to figure out how to make money to take care of my family. So it was never for me in building. 
but it doesn't mean that you can't build something that is a business and also include love in that process. Also putting people first in how you show up and serve. And for me, with a company that I co-founded, Simple Green Smoothies, with my friend and business partner at the time, Jen Hansard, we were all about love because I had more time to pour into people, connect with them, than I had money to invest in ads and team and all these resources. So sometimes that love is sometimes all you have to like just have that one-on-one intimate connection with people, responding to comments sending personal videos, like just doing these things that don't seem scalable, but when you don't have a lot of money and you have more time than you do money, then you do those more things that fall in that department of love or emotional IQ. Where does love, it sounds like it can be a slippery slope of, well, the coach in me can hear the slippery slope of love becoming the hustle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talk about this in the book, right? About there's like the harmonious passion and the obsessive passion where we become obsessed with our work so much because we are seeking external validation. So I'm doing this by any means necessary. I don't care what it costs, my health, my well-being, my relationships. And so the loving your work so much can also be something that can burn you out where you are feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, And like, why am I even doing this? Why am I on this hamster wheel? And it feels empty when you get to whatever that next thing is and you keep pushing the goalpost a little bit further. There's really never any true arrival. But when you are doing your work from a place of harmonious obsession of like, I love my work. And I also think that these other parts of my life are important too. So it's really trying to integrate that you can love more than one thing at a time, but it's when we become hyper productive, hyper focused, so attached to an outcome. And it's like, and nothing else exists or matters, including yourself in the process. So with your online business, did you find yourself going down that path from time to time? Oh, absolutely. So And I I think it's really important to understand that, you know, I think burnout is a really collective burnout is at the peak of everyone, whether you're running your own business or you're working inside a company because you are working with founders who are also burned out. And it's just, you know, leadership trickles down to what's happening in that ecosystem. But I definitely was in seasons of hustle inside the companies that I ran in my online businesses. And I think we have to pay attention to the, the quality of burnout because sometimes there's this mental burnout that it's not even physical. It's just an exhaustion of like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And so that can be a sign of that overwhelm and exhaustion of like, this is not matching my gifts or my contribution in some form or some form of expression. So that was a really big thing for me inside Simple Green Smoothies. I loved building that business. I love the build of being able to build something from nothing. But it got to this place where I was, my heart was pulling me in another direction. And so even the simplest thing that used to be easy and fun and light and exciting, like it drained me. And that can happen inside companies where it's like, oh, this isn't as exciting as it was before. And I did all the things that you would do like in couples therapy, right? Of like, I'm good. Like, let's spend more time together. Let's maybe if I redefine my roles and responsibilities that like I'll be 
a direct report. Like I'll just handle this side of the business. I tried on all of these different things to try to make me like fit into the company that was no longer working for me. I was no longer growing or feeling expansive and excited and drawn. And so there was a point where I had to make that decision because I, even the little bit of work felt exhausting and like I was hustling and getting sick and your body will tell you a lot of things. You know, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score Mm -hmm. and it's just those pieces start to let you know, like, I don't think I'm in the right place anymore. So you had this quote in your book, there has got to be another way. Burnout is not an option. Yeah. I resonated with that so much. I mean, that's how I started this podcast because at the time, I was a mother. I had a blended family of four kids, right? So I was a stepmother of two kids who I'd been raising at that point for 13 years. And then I had two young kids, one in kindergarten, one in preschool. I was teaching at Sac City College and I was coaching. And of course, I had everybody else had one team. I coached three teams because, you know, that's what we do, right? <laughs> and I'm like, there's just got, I kept going, there's got to be a better way. Like all the time productivity app, there weren't apps back then, but books yeah. and, like just be more productive, just do this, just do that. It was like these systems that were in place weren't helping me. And I thought there's got to be a better way. Maybe somebody else has a better way. And that's how I started this show to find this better way. And at that time, I wouldn't even allow myself to consider burnout. It was definitely at that point. And then stepping into this and then this, which has led many paths, right, from this podcast. But I love that about there's got to be another way. Yeah. And giving yourself permission to build differently. And something that I talk about is, you know, giving ourselves permission to be a slow cooker versus a pressure cooker and really allowing ourselves to move. My ambition is actually really high and I produce a lot, but behind the scenes and the quality and the way that I show up in my work, it actually takes me a long time. But because I allow myself to move at a pace that works for me and I'm not feeling this guilt or this shame or this overwhelm in the creation process, that it's actually sustainable for me to keep creating, to keep producing, to keep building. And that's the difference with even with this book. You know, I definitely felt a lot of burnout and fatigue in writing Simple Green Smoothies, which is a walking paradox to having a health and wellness book out in the world where I didn't sleep for over 24 hours and my kid and my husband were like heading out to school and I was like, oh, I'm still in my yoga pants. I'm like, that cannot be the way that I do work in the future, you know, like really being able to lean into that. But for me, it's that quality of how am I feeling and how I'm working and not pushing myself past a place where then I start to build resentment with my work. And that is what happens. It's very similar in relationships, right? Where we build these resentments and it's like, "Mm -mm, I don't want to spend time with you. Like, no, thank you. Like, this doesn't feel good. I'm not getting rewarded anymore. So that dynamic starts to happen in relationship with our body of work, with our, our careers, with our businesses, is that we start to build resentment because you are your own boss, which is like amazing freedom, flexibility, but you are also sometimes a very terrible boss to yourself. And so that is the self-awareness, being able to name that burnout is even happening, that this actually doesn't feel good, that I actually have too much that's on my plate. I'm overcommitted. You have to let go of some things. You really 
that is the dance is being able, which for people pleasers to say, no, I'm not going to do this. Or for ambitious dreamers, like I have like hundreds of GoDaddy domains, like I have tons of ideas and I just can't pursue them all in this lifetime. And I definitely can't pursue them all in the next 30 days. But that's what our ambition wants to do is to be able to produce so much so quickly. And so we have to extend the timeline that like that is the dance. I've wanted to write this book for so many years and I had to find like where in the pocket of my life do I make this the center of my attention? Like when do I bring this to center? And also even telling my family like, hey, I've got a manuscript to write and I'm going to go to a hotel for three to four nights to go work on it. Like being able to navigate that dance of playing with relationships with your creative expression and your work and your own well-being. It's a very intricate, fluid dance that like only you can know. No book, no productivity system, no like, you know, hustle culture guru. Like they don't know you. They don't know what matters to you. They also don't even know how you like to work. I can share an example from my writing process. Stephen Pressfield, you know, talks about putting, what is it? Put your ass where your heart wants to be and to like write every single day. And that's what a true writer is, is you sit down and you write every single day. That does not work for me. Not someone who is also a parent and raising a teen and all of the things. I needed more immersive creative sprints and getaways. But I was almost shaming myself for like, I'm not a true writer. If I don't write X amount of words every single day, then that means that I'm not a true author. And that's what happens in the business space. It's like, if I don't build my business like this way, the way the productivity gurus say I should be working, then am I a true entrepreneur? Do I have a real business? And so it's being able to honor our workflow and our style and in, in how we show up in our day to day. Let's talk about this. What constitutes, in your mind, a real business? Yeah. So profit, <laughs> like it needs to be profitable at some point because that's the hobby business, right? If it's never truly making any money and then you don't get to a place of profitability, it's not sustainable. So that's a really important piece. And also a successful business is one that you're able to take care of your needs truly. Like if this business isn't allowing you to sustain your life, it's not a sustainable business. And so we have to look at it from that perspective. And also I think people glorify like, I need a seven-figure business. I need an eight-figure business. That's a real business. And that's not true. You could make $50,000 a year. And if that's enough to sustain your family, I mean, you, you can't live in California. But if that's... <laughs> well, under certain circumstances, you might be able to if somebody yeah. else paid for your living, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's truly like that you need to know like what is enough to sustain your life, being able to define that, that amount and that you are doing, adding some type of service, value, product, expertise into the world. So there is an exchange of money for a service or a product or a good and that you can get it to a place. And there's going to be years in entrepreneurship. I'm sure you understand of being a seasoned entrepreneur for so many years. You could be in the red or you could be in the black. Like You're not always going to have high profit years or you might have to pause on payroll a couple of months. So that doesn't mean you're not an entrepreneur because things are hard. 
It just means that that's the goal is like, can you make enough money to sustain yourself and sustain your life? So it's interesting. One thing I want to interject here is for those listening and who may be thinking, oh, I have a, you know, a six figure business or a $50,000 or $75,000 or $400,000 business. That's not a real company. I need to get to seven and eight figures. There are seven and eight figure businesses that don't turn up profit. Yeah. Because their expenses are so high or things have got, their teams have gotten so large. Their teams are bloated. And, And we see this even in corporate America, right? We see this in so many places that have these huge, huge numbers, but they are constantly on the verge of crashing. And so I I hope for the listener out there, this expands whatever prison walls that you've had of what is a company and how are you not running a company? Because there's many different forms of them and you need to look at what it is that you're serving, right? Because the numbers can look so different in so many different places. And I have people who they follow that pathway of the seven figure, eight figure, grow the team, and then it sucks all the joy out of of the work. And they're just like, oh, I'm not doing the thing that I love to do anymore. And also I'm still making the same amount of money or less. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people who are kind of simplifying, getting back to basics and like, wait a minute, let me run this math and numbers again of, of my take home. And why is it the same if I have less commitments and responsibility? So it's really paying attention to that. Someone like my husband would be a great example. He has a music program that he does for kids like five and under. And, you know, the business coach in me is like, okay, look, you can hire an admin assistant and you can have teachers that are teaching all the classes or the birthday parties or the things that you don't have time to do or maybe don't want to do. And he's like, I like working X amount of days. I want to do these many classes in a day. I don't want to be a manager of -hmm. teachers. I don't want to manage quality control. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's a certain vibe that I want and I don't, I don't want to repeat more of me's. I'm not interested. Like I love what I do And it's like he has a healthy six-figure revenue and it's just him. And he works part-time teaching children and feeling so fully expressed, feeling on purpose and meaningful. And I'm a great example of someone who could kind of try to insert themselves into like, but you could scale this, you could grow it and all of these things. He's like, I'm happy and joyful and if I have to send a few emails every quarter, you know, to communicate with the parents, I'm fine with that. Like that trade-off he's willing to make. So we have to really think about that of how do we want to be spending our time? Because yes, you can grow your team and get things taken off your plate. And then all of a sudden you delegate the one thing that you actually love doing. I'm thinking that, you know, like this whole idea of scaling is going to be, I don't know, in five or 10 years, kind of like what we're talking about. Hustle is a lie, right? Scaling at certain businesses or for certain people can be a great thing. And they can also be a nightmare because especially if it's a people business, you know, one of the things that is happening for my clients is it doesn't matter the industry and it really doesn't matter the continent and it doesn't matter the salary. Like I have clients with employees of all levels. And that's the hard thing right now, right? We've, we face the great resignation. You know, there's after COVID, people have made a lot of deciding factors of how they want to live their life. And having employees has been a hardship. And it doesn't matter. Like, I mean, that's the thing is you would, the story we would say is like, oh, if you worked in Silicon Valley, it wouldn't be a hard time. 
you know, maybe this week because of what's been going yeah. on in Silicon Valley. <laughs> but, you know, I can tell you this. I have clients in Silicon Valley and they are having a hard time finding certain people. Like, yeah. it, it's real. So the scaling thing is an interesting because there's so much that I think is so much in our industry right now. Scale, scale, scale. But for your husband to be like, hey, I really like this. This is enough. This is fulfilling. I like to have, I mean, that's our most limited resource is time. It's actually not money. It's time. Yeah. He works under 20 hours a week, like 20 to 25 hours and has time to meditate. He has time to work out to, you know, pick our kid up from school. He has lunches with friends. He's, you know, we spend a lot of time together as a family. And so yeah, really paying attention to how do you want to spend your time personally and professionally. So how did you get over the hustle culture programming that, you know, you and I were both facing as we were growing our businesses and realizing that the hustle is a lie? Yeah. So I think for me, giving myself permission to opt out of that, that is what a real entrepreneur is. Mm. You know, I had business coaches who would literally make commentary about some of my highest values of like freedom, freedom, lifestyle, entrepreneurs, like that's not real. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a real entrepreneur. So it's like I had to opt out of the noise, whether it was a coach or an industry, even from online marketing world, I really pulled myself back from that to allow myself to heal from a season of grief and loss in my own personal life and not to feel like I had to stay because I truly needed to reclaim the artist within. And so even if you go to my website at jadaselner.com, the way that like my photo shoot in pieces, I was really thinking of, I was looking at Alicia Keys. I'm not looking at like Marie Forleo. Like, you know, like I'm looking at more of like creative expression and embodiment and who am I and just doing things that are a little bit edgy, don't fall into the typical like coach's hat. So being able to allow myself to reclaim that artist within, I read, you know, Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, just really connecting to that more creative side because that's where the joy for me, I say I'm an artist first and a business owner second business is just a vehicle for me to express my creativity, my artistry, my highest value of making people feel loved, seen, heard, acknowledged, all those pieces. It's just a vehicle for me to do the things that make me feel expressed in the world. And I know that can sound very like woo or fluid or all of those things, but I needed to give myself permission to be more of myself instead of looking outwards to everything that was going on and how fast people were moving. There's a, you know, a section in my book where I talk about having a conversation with my bookkeeper who's like, hey, you're not matching up to what everyone else is doing in the industry. And I'm like, I have this like three-year plan. It's not a 90-day plan. It's like, I know I want to write a book. I know like, and so it's just like, so I'm going to pull back on some strategic pushes. I'm going to pull back on some offers and services so that I can work on this book that I didn't see as a cash project. I got a great book deal with Harper Business, but I would have taken $5 for it because there was a bigger mission and intention behind the model. I think so often we want to figure out like, what is my business model and how do I figure it out in the next 30 to 90 days? And if I don't figure it out, then it's over. And I just, 
want a little bit more spaciousness in how I create and build. And so that's how I needed to opt out of hustle culture is to really turn down the noise of what everyone else was doing around me and just really connect to my truth, to what really matters to me. What are the things that I want to exist in the world? And the money is going to form around it in some creative way. But I, I had to create that separation and distinction to not constantly be in this growth, like growth for growth's sake. So how do you trust, like when pulling off, having a bookkeeper telling you your money's not where it's, you know, where everybody else is, as well as having your own business coach tell you, yeah, freedom's great, but you need to go do this. So how do you listen to your own internal self? Yeah, that's the part of really tuning in and paying attention to my own nervous system of like, I'm not feeling good in this relationship dynamic. So now I know how to get out of partnerships or collaborations a lot quicker than I did before. I kissed a lot of frogs, even in, even in my editing process with my book and not that someone was wrong. It was just not the right fit for me. Like I'm not moving in a way that works for my creative orientation, my work output. So it's really being able to tune in to when something's not working to be able to flag that and say, oh, I got to stop. Something's telling me something is off here. And it feels like more effort and work to get off a track and move in a different direction. So for me, I have to keep paying attention. Like, is this feeling good to me? Something feels off. So I usually have about like three, it's kind of like strike three and you're out, you know, where it's like, ooh, like a little tingle, like something's not feeling right. And then there'll just be like a conversation where I'm like, no, this is complete. This is done. So knowing that we don't have to know the answer right away, to, but to pay attention to those signals of something's off. I didn't feel good at the end of that conversation. I'm not getting what I need. If I can see like I'm not making progress. My needs aren't getting met and that doesn't feel good. If I have three interactions with the same person or process or whatever it is, a system that I've created inside my business, then a shift has to be made. Something has to change. Okay, Jada, let's back up a second because you said something really important. If I'm not getting what I need. Yeah. Have you always been able to give yourself the space or the permission? to be aware of what you need? No. Okay. This is really, <laughs> this is really important. It's a subtle yeah. thing, right? Especially I think yeah. us as women, especially as multiracial women who've mm -hmm. been put in a place of you're, you're supposed to be kind, don't make a scene, just harmony, just, peacemakers, yeah. keep everyone else happy. Yes. And you're not happy. Mm -hmm. And that is a very typical, that is familiar. To like, is everyone else's needs met? Is everyone else okay? Cool, cool, cool. Why am I feeling resentment? Why are things bubbling up? Why don't I, or I paid for this. They should be giving me what I asked for. Like, so that, because that's a little bit edgy, right? To even break off something and be like, hey, I know I paid you for this and I'm feeling complete. This isn't working anymore. And to speak up and say, this isn't working. Let's make an adjustment. And sometimes that relationship can still work. But was like, here are my requests moving forward. So no, that was not always a thing. And you're, and I'm still learning it. I think we all are. There's like 
there's there's certain different departments and areas of our lives. I mean, you can even think about it from a romantic relationship, all of these things that is like, oh, I didn't really think about what do I want? What are my desires? I'm just in this response of like, this is just how it goes, right? This is so paying attention in your life, in all areas of your life, where are you just doing something because this is just status quo? This is just always how it's always been done, but it doesn't feel good. And so try to tap into what unmet need is happening here or what would I desire? Like what would make me feel good? Um, Yeah, I'm having all kinds of awakenings beyond business in connecting to my needs and my desires and being able to express and articulate them clearly. And I think the thing that's important too is to recognize like I get to give myself permission that it's okay if I have needs. Yes. You know, and I will always preface it with this context. They may not all get met or in this yes. time, right? Yep. Like as you were talking about the slow cooker is having that space. If it's a three-year plan, I think we want that instantaneous response because then it's validation that, oh, okay, I am okay to have these needs. Yeah. I'm not selfish, right? Or I'm not a bitch or I'm not too much. Yeah. But realizing like, it's okay to have these needs. I give myself permission. Maybe if it's not with this person or this situation, where else could I get that fulfilled? And can I meet it myself? I think that it's a two-part. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I love that. So I have a question for you because you mentioned this. How do you organize your week, right? You talk about spaciousness and I'm so curious. I want to get into the tactile, like, how do you do this? Because traditionally, and I know I bumped up against this and I still, even though I've been an entrepreneur for so long, it's like that work week of, you know, eight to five. And I mean, shoot, I have, I've done it all. I've worked seven days a week. I've learned how to take weekends off. I've learned how to take (laughs) vacations, but it's been a learning, right? Because I'm- Very much. (laughs) I I figured overachiever was a really good way of success and just work really hard. And that was the only gear I had. But so I'm interested in, and like, I want to learn from you of, you know, how do you organize your week? Yeah. So for me, I call this a weekly workflow plan. I actually have it in my Trello, which is like a project management software that my team can see as well. But creating, really theming my days and where am I focused? So a big thing for me is I'm a social introvert. I like small groups and I need a lot of recharge time after I've been talking a lot, but I love to talk. So something that I learned is I need integration rest time from being on, from showing up. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are my talk days. Those are like talky Tuesdays, talky Thursdays, where that's when I schedule calls Unless I'm in a push season. If I'm in a push season, I will move beyond my typical boundaries right now. If I'm like promoting a book or promoting something, I can move past those. But I have agreements with my team of I take calls between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Anytime someone's like, hey, do you want to do this interview or a client call? Those are going to fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then Mondays are for me, I used to not have anything scheduled on Mondays. But now I have my team meeting call at 10 a.m. because I noticed that Mondays became a second Sunday if I didn't have anything on the calendar. So I have my team meeting call and that gets me activated to like look at the list, look at the priorities, look at our quarterly focus and just kind of reset, realign. Like there's something about talking with my, my team that gets me invigorated and excited about the work. But if it's 
if I'm on solo duty, then second Sunday, here we come. (laughs) So, and that helps you pay attention to how I look at my workflow is I'm paying attention to where things aren't happening or moving correctly. So I'll shift and make adjustments that way. And then Wednesdays, I call them Wednesdays, W-I-N-S. That's the days when I'm working on my big picture projects. So anything that's in my quarterly strategic plan of like working on the book, you know, creating a a new something or writing marketing, those are things where it's uninterrupted, where I'm not talking to anyone and I have this unstructured day to create or to think or to write. So that's kind of how I have my Wednesdays. And then Fridays are that free flow day where it's like, sometimes I'm having a mastermind day with my girlfriends. Sometimes I'm having lunch with my husband, you know, a day date. And sometimes I'm going to work on a project or I'll be writing or doing something. But it's like, it's kind of like dealer's choice. And for me, I have kind of like this rhythm of 9 a.m., Right now I'm in a rhythm of like 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Sometimes it's 9 to 1. Sometimes it's 9 to 5. Like I'm in a season of longer days right now because I am in a push season. But that's kind of my natural workflow. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I rest. Like my laptop is in my backpack when I'm done with work. And it's like shut down complete. Like we are done. We are not. And that's to me creates that separation between work and life. I also have an office space that I rent during the pandemic, I realized everybody was at the dining room table. Every, like my husband was doing music classes and puppets. And I was like, I can't write this book in this space. Like I need a very separate space. And I am done writing the book, but I love having this like feminine sacred sanctuary that really creates this distinction and separation between my work life and my personal life. And so it's been a great gift for me. Oh, fantastic. So I have a question for you in regards to getting done at three or getting done at one. What's that like? Yeah. So the one o'clock came from when I eat lunch, my brain, all the things like it's processing, it's digesting food. So my energy goes way down. I usually don't do any calls in the afternoon because I'm like, oh, I need to be alive for my clients. I need to be on and present. So that's kind of where that one o'clock comes. It's like once I eat, I'm in skedaddle zone. Like I'm like, I need to do very light, not super busy work from if I do stay in the one to three. And then my daughter gets out of school at like three o'clock, 3.30. So it's a nice, and she's comes here to my office and my husband and picks us up and we go home. And I can also walk home from my office if I want. But it's a for me, I have tried to line up my work schedule with my kids' schedule. And that just feels like a nice fluid dance so that I can just be physically present at home when they're at home and if they need me or just a check-in or a hug or whatever that is. And I know you have a, a range of kids, but teens, man, it's a different, it's the same like holding space in a different way because everything's happening internally versus external tantrums. But it's, yeah, that's a lot of work to just be present for a teen and in this season of like what's going on in the world of really tracking and being available. So my youngest two, so the kindergartner is now 22. She's at Mm. Cal in her last year. And then my other one's going to be 21. So we're empty nesters. Yeah. And I kid you not, <laughs> parenting is harder now <laughs> than <laughs> when they were little. <laughs> She's like, got to get on planes, got to do things. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's planes, it's 
the level of complexity of the stuff. It's not about where's the shoe or the yeah. mess. <laughs> it's not the physical mess. It's like the mess of lives or like yeah. the the risks, you know, are are bigger or, you know, and then a great example of it is I had this one guest who was on my show and he, one of the great things that he taught me was when your kids are little, you're the manager of their lives. You manage every aspect when they wake up, when they go to bed, you know, what they eat, play dates, all that. And then, then when they're tween, they fire you. And if you're fortunate that you get invited back as their consultant, but they have a lot yeah. more, you know, go and, and you can kind of influence them. And then they like, what he didn't say was, then they go off to college or they leave the house, and you're an empty nester <laughs> and you're thinking, yes, this is awesome. But then you realize, oh, they call you on their terms. They're right, not right. Really, they're not really available for you to when you call them back. So if you don't get it, you like learn really quickly. And then my latest metaphor is, and I think this applies to any age, but even more so with college kids, is they're your heart that's outside of your body with a different brain and actually a half-formed <laughs> brain. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is hard. Yeah. And, and I say that and I have great kids, right? I mean, like, there's so many of our values that are very much integrated and it's just yeah. hard. It's, it's really because there's so much vulnerability to being a parent. Yes, right? absolutely. So, oh. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. So I can like prime myself because I'm like, oh, we're going to be empty nesters in like two and a half years. That's wild. It does get weird. Like I, I remember last year and because of the pandemic, right? Our empty nesting was a little bit delayed. But yes. Yes. <laughs> I remember last year it was like Thursday at four o'clock and I was like, I'm done. I go, what do I do? And I thought about it. And I said, all of my friends right now have little kids. They, they're not done. I'm done. Yeah. My husband was at work and I was like, I need to get new friends. Right. right? <laughs> so that was like an awakening. And then last year it was, he came home and we'd eaten dinner and we were watching TV at seven o'clock at night on a Thursday night. I'm like, you know, ready for bed by nine. I go, wow, yes. this is a change, right? It used to be yeah. like nine or 10 by the time you could watch television, if that. So yeah. there, there had been some changes. Yeah, it's interesting on the season of life, but it's still a lot of energy. It's not the energy of the constant, but it's it's still big, powerful energy when it comes and in. I think it just comes in at once. And it's on-call energy mm -hmm. because I know for us, when we closed down our first brick-and-mortar business, we moved into my husband's parents' house in a house full of 10 like Filipinos. We are in a big house. And that I'm like, we're adults. We are in our 20s and 30s living with our daughter in his parents, you know, so mm -hmm. families mm -hmm. that doesn't stop, you know, that leaning in and leaning on family and those. And I know not everyone has that privilege, but yeah, I got to remember how many times I've stayed with my parents as a grown adult or been homeless in Los Angeles and couch surfing on a friend's you know, those, those times of those ups and downs and trying to navigate adulthood and, and life. And it's not to, it's not to say that this is horrible and hard, but I think it's about having eyes wide open. Right. Yeah. And, and realizing, and then also just cherishing the days of ease or the fact that she's, your daughter's in high school and there's some good and there's some struggles with that. Right. I think that's, that's the reality is there's always tension, but we get into this magical thinking like, Oh, I'm going to be an empty nester and it's great. But forgetting that, Oh, the not knowing and not being the guardrail every day has yeah. its own set of issues. <laughs> yes. Right? Its own set of issues. I have like, no oh. control. I have no control. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing your schedule. So that 
is an idea for people as they think about like, how do they want their flow? Because so often I face with clients that their brain is still stuck in an industrial age, right? Oh, like, absolutely. And and sometimes you need someone on the outside, you know, there's a saying, you can't read the label from inside the jar. So sometimes you need to kind of verbally process it out loud because we're in such a season of reinvention right now. Clients that I've had for like three, five plus years, I've been doing their weekly workflow plans and like the last month, like a few this week, last week, because just holding the structure of like, what are the things that you're doing and how can we start to like kind of put like things together and put them on these days and these are your off days or out of office days or one of my clients calls a day a Honda day. It's like when she goes to the mechanic and she's not with her babies or her kids or her partner or her team. She's like, I'm at the mechanic right now and I just got my laptop. And so she wants to recreate the Honda days of like, I'm at the shop and like, I'm not available. I'm working on something right now. And then she can bust out her laptop and get to do some focused work and not feel like she has to because she's at an appointment, you know, so being able to do that. So something that I would say for people who are like, ooh, how do I create one for myself is being able to take some time to track, like, how are you spending your days, right? Like really kind of take accounting of what does my Monday look like Tuesday? And then you'll start to just see like themes that pop up or things that you shouldn't even have on your list anymore to, that you it's draining your energy and then start to do an energy audit of what are these things that give you energy, what things drain your energy. And I talk about this in chapter five of the book, but I'm like, I need you all to just know that you can do this and then create that like blank. Okay. So if I look at all the puzzle pieces of how I spend my time, how could I recreate that in a way that feels there's a little bit more flow, a little bit more efficiency, and you're not just in this reactionary place. There's intention and it doesn't mean that it's we don't have to be so rigid with a plan. It's an intention. It's like what you said, a guardrail to kind of keep us in the lines of what we're saying. This is how we want to spend our time. It's so important because I think what happens and you write about it in your book and what happens in that, all that productivity thing, it's like it becomes a prison wall of, well, no, I said I'm going to do this. Yes. And, and I know when I do creative work, like when I'm writing a podcast and doing a solo monologue piece, the energy for that alone is hard. And when I come in on a Thursday after I've had a day like I've had today with clients, I'm like wiped out, mm -hmm. right? And so the worst thing I could do for myself is judge myself that why, why aren't I doing this? It's on the calendar. There's yeah. nothing left because I've spent it connecting with humans. Yes. Right? And then it, you would like reallocate that, reposition it into another mm -hmm part of your day or earlier in the day or on a totally different day of the week. We don't always have that freedom and flexibility in everything, but if there's places where you can make swaps, then try to do that. And I think like for this interview, it is a Thursday late in the day, right? It's mm -hmm. outside of your frame. It's mine yeah. outside of mine. But one of the things when I was checking in to see like, okay, could I get it done? I also know that my energy is better with somebody else's energy right? Versus doing a creative project by myself, the connection with somebody else. So it's that self-awareness that I've learned yeah. along the way of, okay, what is it? What are the ingredients that I need so yes. that I can show up, right? And yes. not be such a judger. Yes. Yes. The overcoming of hustle culture that we've had to do. <laughs> yes. It's not working. It's not working. Hustle culture isn't working for women. And it's really not working for anyone because 
what happens is if we get so exhausted, overwhelmed, tapped out, like then we, we just opt out completely. And then we don't do the work. We don't do the things that are meaningful to us because we, we just can't take it. The resentment gets so high that we're like, never mind, I'm out. I'm not mm-hmm. doing this anymore. And I don't want to see more people, more women closing down their companies because it doesn't feel good anymore. And so there are ways that we can have self-assessment. We can also assess and reflect how are things working in our work and what we do and who we serve and just reimagine a different way that really connects to our needs and our desires, but also, you know, serves people because we want to make money. This is not a hobby. Mm -hmm. You talk about being, you know, being done with work at one or at three. Does that mean you weren't actually writing the book in the evenings? I really approach this book in an anti-hustle way and really paying attention to my own energy and capacity. So I did a lot of my writing. For me, I'm an early morning writer in general. Like I need the fresh brain Mm -hmm. energy. So really kind of creating that spaciousness. And if I wasn't able to hit a deadline or a timeline, unlike when with Simple Green Smoothies where I would stay up over 24 hours to like, gotta get the manuscript in. I just asked for more time and extended the timeline. And then there was a season, I was actually talking to my life coach at the time. And I was like, I think I need to ask for another extension, another timeline. I need more time to work on it. I'm still like figuring things out. And she's like, what if you booked a few like hotel retreats in the next couple of weeks and like actually like what would need to happen in order for you to get it in on time. And so a lot of my writing was very spacious. I really enjoyed the creative process. And then there was this like moment of like, it felt like sexy. Like it felt like I get to go on a getaway with my book. Like I get to go like step away from my family responsibilities. And and I was like, that actually sounds good. Like it felt like to kind of do this push, like to pull all my effort and energy. And so for three to four nights, and I even moved my client calls around to create some spaciousness for me to do these consecutive days instead of my Tuesday, Thursday talk days. I'm like, okay, I will do those calls on Mondays and Tuesdays and then go in this retreat, be in my jammies, have my green juice, my kombucha, my mud water. And I mixed that also with hot tub time. And I had like big, bigger writing windows. There were days where I think I did like 16 or even 17 Pomodoros, which is like if you times that by 25 minutes, you know, like I was doing focused writing for pretty long stints of time, but it felt like it just felt fun and playful and I didn't have to tend to anyone's needs. And so I really feel that I wrote this book from that perspective of doing it in a way that works for me and my creative output, but also in those times when it felt like this is going to take me longer, I just asked for more time so that I wasn't writing this book from this crunchy, hustle, tired, exhausted way that if anything, I would just extend the timeline just a little bit more. And that is a part of like integrity of how can we ask, get our needs met, but also keep people in the loop of what your needs are. I said I was going to turn it in on the 15th. I need until the 17th. Like just keeping people in the loop up. I'm so sorry. I thought I was going to get it on the 17th. I am working on it, but I need one more extra day. Like that, it's just, 
how can you be integrity with your timeline and agreements, but also you're human and not to exhaust yourself. And it's just like, I'm sorry, I didn't make it, but I'm, I'm committed. I'm doing the work. And so that I really needed to create in a more spacious way that felt good to me. And because I wrote this book in a way that felt good to me and I honored myself in the process, all I want to do is write more books. Like I, I hope for the opportunity to get more book deals, to write more books because I really enjoyed the process. And before I was like, I don't ever want to write a book again. I want to hire a ghostwriter. I almost hired a ghostwriter for this book thinking like, I'm not going to be able to crack the code. I'm not going to be able to do it. But an editor was like, you can write and you just need someone that can kind of help you trim the fat of, you know, the words and, and things like that. And then I fell in love with the editing process and I would just be in my office working and, and doing the editing. And it was hard. It was effort. So anti-hustle doesn't mean that you're not going to hustle at all or you're not going to exert some energy and focus, but it's in a way that feels good. Like I was in flow and really, really just had fun with the process and, and I looked forward to it because I wasn't creating that resentment of like, I don't want to do that again. It's like, mm -hmm. I want to do that again. And that's how we want to feel in our business and our creative projects of like, that you still want to do it again. I love how your book, She Builds, right? Which is the anti-hustle guide to grow your business is actually how you, you were in integrity with that, which is very different than when you're writing your green smoothie guide, right? As you were pushing yourself throughout the night. So there was the change. And the other thing that I think is really important is one strategy is to ask for more time and ask for what you need. Yeah. And then the other strategy is what can you do to take care of yourself to be able to, what's, what structure do you need in place so that you can have that creative space to then meet the, the next degree timeline? And yeah. there was some shifting, right? Because your husband's probably taking on more duties. Mm -hmm. Your clients are being moved around. So there's some shifting. So that's another way to figure this out and then to be able to go and have that beautiful space of no other responsibilities except write the book, which yeah. is a huge gift. Well, yeah. thank you, Jada, for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been fantastic to get to meet you and have you on the show. I know I had said earlier that I saw you speaking back in World Domination, Chris. Gilbo's. Yeah, Gilbo's. WDS, World Domination Summit. Yes. yes. And he's been I on love the that. Chris has been on the show a bunch of times too. So it was, it was, I remember seeing you on that stage going, oh my gosh, I want that woman on the show. And here we are, right? In our slow cooked yes. way. So thank yes. you. Thank you. Yes. I love it so much. And I'm excited to have you on the Lead with Love podcast too, and to get to know your body of work in a, in a deeper and more beautiful way. Oh, well, I'm excited to be there. So thank you. All right. I hope my invitation for you is there were some nuggets of insight that you could see in there or hear in there, I guess, because you're listening here and there that you can take and apply into your own life. Maybe it's Jada's the way that she does her weekly schedule and has her flow of the week. Maybe it's the idea that it's a fluid schedule. And I get that like one of the things when I'm working with clients, knowing my clients, who are the ones that maybe need more support and more structure and who have a lot of systems in place. So it looks like on the outside that they're really disciplined, right? Because they honor their commitments to themselves. They trust themselves. They have boundaries set up in their lives so that 
the time that they're putting aside to this is respected by themselves and by others, right? That's not always the case, especially when we're first starting out. I've had to learn and build a lot of those systems and those structures in my own life. So hopefully this interview has given you some things to think about, the windows of possibility and how you can incorporate it. And maybe you're like, I'm in corporate America, I get it. How can you step out of hustle culture and still integrate in the corporate environment and do really great work? Jada talked about being ambitious and having goals in being a slow cooker doesn't mean that she doesn't, you know, have her own financial goals that she wants or that she doesn't have her own career aspirations that she wants. So by stepping out of hustle culture, it's not black and white of like, oh, if I don't do hustle culture, then therefore. I can't be successful. That's what we're talking about. It's reducing the hustle culture so that you don't have to burn out and that you can tune in and be aware of when are you most effective, right? And some of you may not have the freedom of ending a workday at a certain time. Some of you may be on shifts, right? Some of you may have employment contracts or scope of work that have a certain layout. And what you can do, my invitation for you to take away is paying attention inside, when can you have an energy alignment throughout the day? So if you have to do some really hard thought work and really figure out financial models and, you know, for you, it's better to do it early in the morning than later in the day, you do that. Maybe it's, you know, taking customer phone calls later in the day, or maybe it's first thing in the morning, but getting into that, what your flow is for your season of life. That's my invitation for you. All right, my friend, smiling big for you. Hey there. Before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. I'm smiling big for you. Drifting, never been so wide.